hire somebody who's blind and it's like, dude, that sucks that you're blind because you've never, you've never been able to see a baby's face or a beautiful sunset. So how about we make that all better by allowing you to pay slightly less in taxes? And then it's like, oh, hey, hey, quadriplegic. Hey, stop, stop whining. And how about you pay all of your taxes like a damn American? You know, it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't make any any sense, but that's uh, that's the world in which we live. Welcome to Improv is No Joke podcast, where it's all about becoming a more effective communicator by embracing the principles of improvisation. I'm your host, Peter Margaritas, the self-proclaimed chief edutainment officer of my business, The Accidental Accountant. My goal is to provide you with thought-provoking interviews with business leaders so you can become an effective improviser, which will lead to building stronger relationships with clients, customers, colleagues, and even your family. So let's start the show. Welcome to episode 33 of Improv is No Joke podcast. Thank you very much for downloading this episode. Today's guest is Craig Kite, who is a CPA and founder of Comedy CPE. Greg and I spend time discussing how performing stand-up and improv comedy are great skills to have in your everyday business life. He believes that bankers, vendors, and etc. tend to be more transparent with him because of his sense of humor. As he states, it helps him building a comfort level with the other person by breaking down barriers and people's defenses and make for some real open and honest communication, which in the long run makes me be more effective at my job. I will say this is one of the funniest, entertaining, and informative interviews that I've done to date. This is right up there with episode 17 and Dan Swarthow, and in episode 19 with Judy Carter. I'm sure you'll enjoy our conversation. One of my goals with this podcast is that it will help you begin to make changes in your work and personal lives so you can better connect with others and create meaningful relationships. Many people have said that it takes 21 days to start a habit, but a lifetime to maintain that pattern. That's why I created the Yes And Challenge, to help keep these principles in front of you so you can build up your improvisational muscle. So to sign up, please go to my website, petermargaritas.com, and scroll down to the Yes And Challenge call to action and click to register to begin building the productive habit of Yes And and the principles of improvisation. And remember to share your experiences on Twitter using the hashtag YesAndChallenge. Now, if you're unsure of what the SN Challenge is all about, I discuss it in greater detail in episode zero. So go back and take a listen. Remember, you can subscribe to my podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Along with you can purchase my book, Improv is No Joke, Using Improvisation to Create Positive Results in Leadership and Life on Amazon. It is available in paperback and on Kindle. Well, with that said, let's get to the interview with Greg Kite. Hey, welcome, everybody. Uh, I'm here today with Greg Kite, and Greg is the founder of Comedy CPE. This is the first time we've met. I Actually, I've heard a lot about Greg over the years, uh, that there's another person who's a CPA who enjoys comedy, which were very rare in that way. And after a long haul, I've been finally able to sit down and, and, and we have a conversation about almost, who knows what this is all going to come about. But first and foremost, Greg, thank you so very much for taking time out of your busy schedule to sit down and have a conversation. 
Totally. No, no problem. I, I, uh, well, I don't know if you know this. I do my own podcast with Jason Blummer called the Thrivecast. So, uh, I, I'm a big fan of, uh, of this kind of thing and of, you know, and sharing knowledge and trying to get it out there for people. So I'm, it's, it's my pleasure is what I'm trying to say. Uh, thank you very much. And, uh, I will be subscribing to your podcast, uh, as soon as we're done with this and, and pull it down. There's a, there's a few uh, of us in the, the uh, profession who have actually podcasts myself, you, uh, Jason Garrett, is that correct? But John John Garrett, yeah, John, John he's, Garrett, yeah, yeah. He's another. He's a former CPA. He's got he's got a way better resume than I do in terms of his accounting. He was a he was I think he was at KPMG for for a bunch of years, and then finally was just like I I kind of hate this and I kind of love comedy. So he he bailed out and he just does he does, well. He was doing comedy full time. He's kind of uh, transitioned to where he's doing more uh, like corporate. He, I mean, his his standup was corporate gigs a lot, and now he's doing some almost almost like motivational speak speaking through his Green Apple podcast. Another really great one. Have you been on? Have you been on his podcast? I have not. I'm trying to get on his podcast. I've invited him on mine. We we have met. We're both members of the National Speakers Association. We've met online, not face to face, and had a conversation. And our paths keep keep crossing. But I, I I do listen to the Green Apple podcast. I, I have enjoyed it. And a mutual friend of ours, Kristen Rampey, was on his. I think you were on his podcast. Now I've got both of you on my podcast, so we're even now. As right, right, <laughs> exactly, exactly, full circle, circle of life. Hakuna Matata, whatever. So, t- tell the audience a little, if they don't if they don't know you, give a little bit of your background so we get they get an idea. Uh, well, I guess uh, to you know, to paint it with broad strokes, I I changed careers. Uh, I had a midlife career change, and I do everything kind of I do everything slower than most adults do. So it was I was a uh, gosh I was twenty six I was twenty six. When I finally, by the time I finally earned my bachelor's degree and my teaching certification, uh, I got a bachelor's in math from the University of Washington, uh, got a teaching certification out here in Utah and started teaching. uh, Well, I did one year at a high school and and I didn't hate it, but I definitely didn't love it. So I took about a year off. uh, And in that year, I got married and I realized after getting married how important health insurance is. (laughs) And... And, and so I was like, maybe I need to get back into teaching. And the weirdest, and actually, so so in that year, I I not be, between between my teaching. So I was a year in high school. Then I took about a year off. In the middle, I spent six months as a waiter at a Mexican restaurant. Uh, which which, by the way, I was amazing as a waiter. I'm probably of all my careers, I may be best suited to be a waiter. Um, and then I spent six months at a used car. Well, actually, it was new and used car lot selling cars. Uh, I'm horrible at that. That was a <laughs> career that I am not built for. And uh, and then and then a a middle school just they like were in a crisis and they were like anyone who knows anybody who's qualified to teach this this unruly group of eighth graders get them get them in here and give them a job. So that's how I got back into teaching. But again, just didn't didn't really love it. I mean, I you know the hours were good. But the the job was not so good, and you know, and everybody being a public school teacher, the pay is not awesome. And and to go back further into my history, when I was in high school, my mom owned her own drugstore, and so I started working for her. Actually, even in middle school, I think I was fourteen when I first started working for her. And before I could even drive, I was starting to do the bookkeeping for her drugstore, and I really enjoyed that. So when I was in college, it was kind of a toss up. 
Do I do math? Do I do accounting? I chose math. I chose wrong. So when this math thing was not so much fun and was not paying so well, I decided to go back to school to get my accounting degree. So it took me a couple of years of doing that, mostly night and online classes. Finished uh, what? Well, finished my accounting degree in 2008. Finished my MBA with an accounting emphasis in 2010, and I burned my way through the CPA uh, exam. It did one one section a month because I, I I took I was in it in the computerized uh, era. Oh, okay. Did one one section a month for four months and somehow passed all four of them. I felt, I don't like, I felt crappier every section I took, I felt worse about. And, uh, and, and somehow I actually got higher scores. And like <laughs> every time I was like, there's no, there's no way I'm passing this one. And then the score would come back and I'd be like, what the hell? So, uh, so I did that. I spent a year at a, uh, at a local midsize, uh, CPA firm, uh, where I kind of, it was, uh, yeah, not, I got, yeah, I was in the technology department and I'd never opened QuickBooks in my life, but I was supposed to be a pro advisor at that. And then <laughs> uh, come busy season, I was also supposed to pitch in and help with taxes, which I spent my whole, you know, the last six months learning QuickBooks, not learning UltraTax. So I was, hor- I was pretty horrible at both of them. So when an opportunity came for me to uh, get hired away by a client, I gladly accepted. <laughs> and, and ever since then, I've been a controller for a group of medical office buildings. So that's, uh, that's, the, that's how I got to where I am as a CPA. But then there's the other, there's my alter ego, which is the comedian. So when I, back to when I was teaching, uh, my lower end math classes, like, you know, in eighth, in eighth grade, like eighth, you probably have, you probably don't remember eighth grade math. Like I do. I, I remember <laughs> quite well. And back then it's like, it's not hard math. Like no one, none of my kids who were failing were fa- well, no, what, there was one kid who was failing because it was too hard for him. All of the other thousands of kids I taught, they were not, it wasn't that this math was too hard. It's just that they weren't motivated. So I started doing these things that I called motivation Mondays, which, uh, I admit right now that sounds super lame. That's like super lame dad <laughs> thing to do. But I was doing that with these kids motivation where it was always like, Hey, what do you really want to do? What are you really passionate about? And, and, you know, kind of, and, and kind of making it where it's like, whatever it was you want to do, if you're good at math, that'll make you better. But anyways, you can only tell, you can only ask kids what they really want to do with their life so many times before, before you look yourself in the mirror and go, I'm a middle school math teacher. <laughs> you know, they're like, I want to be a professional skateboarder. I want to be a professional uh, football player. I want to be an actress. And I go, uh, you know what? No one's saying middle school math teacher, not a single one of you. And, and me neither, but I'd always wanted to do uh, stand up comedy. So it was that, it was that year where I was like, you know what? I got to take my own medicine. So I went to a comedy club. I cornered the, uh, cornered the uh comedians after the show and was like hey how do you get going and they t- told me how the open mic thing went and invited me to an open mic that one of them was running so i started doing that i also started taking classes at the local improv uh club and so and and gosh it took me forever but i finally became a one of the kind of the, one of the cast members of their stage show at the at comedy sports i don't know you you do You've done, you do improv, right? I, I do improv, and I've done stand-up, but primarily improv. And there was a, a, a way back when there was a group that was here that I would just kind of sneak in and do some stuff with. But most most of what I was doing was a guy in from Second City, Cleveland, who was coming down to uh, uh, down here and holding a workshop and spent a lot of time. I'm a, I'm a student for over 25 years. Yeah, nice. So and he was with Second City. Yeah, he was with Second City. 
Isn't there a comedy sports in Columbus? There is not. I know comedy sports has uh, locations across the country, but I know that there's even more locations that do not have a comedy sports. So that's my that's my brand. That's what I came up with, and I and I did that real regularly for probably about five five years or so. But uh, I started transitioning out of that after I became a CPA because it seemed like there was there was a lot of stuff happening with me with my skill set inside the CPA world inside the accounting profession. And it seemed like it was more my stand-up stuff that was hitting than my improv stuff. So uh even but I but man, I love improv. I love I love improv. I love them both, but there's uh anyways, but I kinda kinda stepped away. So now I only do maybe a few improv shows every year. But anyways, that's that's sort of the the origin story. And you do you do stand up. I actually if you go out on YouTube, I found a a, a couple of your stand up routines. You you do a rant on an ANA update which that beautiful. Love it. But Thank then, you. But, but then you just recently did something I thought was hilarious. You were uh, you were doing tax comedy and you were doing you were doing 33 years of Jeb Bush's tax returns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you, you equated it, went all the way back. To, he, was, he was trying to uh, connect with the millennials. So he went all the way back to 1989, which is the title of... Uh, Taylor Swift. Yeah, Taylor yeah. Swift's uh, uh, new uh, new album, which I thought was hilarious. That was a nice right, time. Right, because I think that was the year she was born. Yeah. So. <laughs> Something yeah. like that. And, and I've always... I, I've heard a lot about you, but when I've watched this stuff, you're able to take accounting and, and really put it into stand-up and, and and I've done that in the past, but I've always found it. Maybe I was always too close to it. I wasn't seeing some things that others are, others are seeing, but what I've seen, you've done an excellent job and man, keep up the chops, dude. Well, geez, thanks. Thanks so much. I have found it's, it's weird doing like, it's weird doing my material, like my accounting and tax material that I do in clubs, like doing that for audiences that are because because it's kind of cool when you do that stuff in a club in invariably there's like one accountant there right and and that guy is like he's on cloud nine he's going i know all every you know every <laughs> nuance he's like i get it yeah. this guy's speaking my language and he feels great and he's laughing the hardest but uh but but the, and the rest of the rest of the obviously it's working otherwise they wouldn't book me in clubs so the rest of the audience is having a good time too but the accountants feel especially you know clicked in but then what I found is when I do, if I do my club material, that's like accounting and tax stuff, if I do it for an audience of all accountants, all they do is just like shoot. They're, they're like, well, that's actually incomplete. What you, your, your premise for that joke wasn't exactly right. Like, like I have the, I have oh this one God. joke I'd get into where I said, I said, so the, uh, you know, charitable giving, it's a great tool for tax planning. And I was, that was just, kind of, that was like, that was a trend. That was a segue yeah. into a joke. That's not even part of the joke. And I say that in front of a bunch of accountants. They're like, actually, no, it's not. It's actually not at all. No one would say, give more money away so that you can keep 40% of it at most in taxes. You're an idiot. <laughs> and I go, okay, yeah, I, I, you're right. I am. You're all smarter than me. Uh, I'm just the, I'm just the chuckle monkey here to make your life a little less unbearable. So my, my apologies. But that's, but that's, but that's a stereotypical accountant, right? Who are yeah, extremely, yeah. Who, who can be extremely picky. I did, I did, I did this one thing for a firm in, in Dayton some years ago. It was, you know, bringing how laughter has benefits to the workplace. And I said something to this fact. I said, you know, when you laugh, you know, it, it, it's a health benefit. It's good for it because it releases the endorphins. You know the dolphins, <laughs> those crazy fish that swim through your bloodstream, help you fight stress, anxiety, and depression? Right. I got five reviews, evaluations back that said this, Mr. Margaritas. 
Dolphins are mammals, not fish. Oh my gosh, you're kidding me. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's hilarious. And I know there's somebody there's a few people who are listening to this right now when it's playing, they're going, Oh, they're right. They're, they're not mad. the mammals are not fish. <laughs> right. Yeah, this is fine. It's but yeah, we they they can be a little bit more on the critical side, but I think but I think if you got a couple of cocktails in them and, right, and, right. and did a Christmas show, you'd you you'd rock. Oh yeah, don't don't get me wrong. It's I just have to make sure I put on the right hat. When I'm when I'm performing for the accountants and make sure I'm dotting all my I's and crossing all of my T's. So yeah, it's but it but it is it's it's a very different it it is an incredibly different feel performing for all all accountants rather than just uh you know your whatever knuckleheads decide to show up for a for a club show. So let me ask this question with the with the background in stand up, the background in improv, and you're a controller. How have you found those skills to help you in your day to day world? Uh, in just in my day job. Yeah. Uh, I, well, I would say, you know, one of the biggest things is, and maybe the, maybe the main thing is obviously whatever job that you're in, you have the, I work, well, actually you, can you see this environment that I'm working in? This is, I think you're in a tool shed. Yeah. It looks like a tool (laughs) shed, possibly a meth lab, possibly a kill room. Uh, so, something. I, that's why I figured I'd just go with you know the tool shed. <laughs> tool shed, right? No, but but anyways, I I I'm currently sharing offices with our building maintenance manager, and I'm down here. He only he's he's only here two days a week, and even with that, he's not in the office. He's running around fixing stuff. So I'm pretty I'm pretty isolated in terms of my job. So I don't have a whole lot of like moment by moment human interactions. But even me, I still I mean that's a lot of my job talking with bankers, talking with the owners of the LLCs, talking with vendors, talking with, you know, with different sources that we might have to go to for financing, things like this. And by being able to be approachable and having a good sense of humor and being funny, I, I often find myself, I, I feel like it's a way that I've been able to develop quicker, stronger bonds with these people that I, that I do rely on to be able to do my job. So that we and, and the interesting thing is it really it's not just bonds, it's almost like there people are more I feel like people are more willing to be uh transparent with me because of my sense of humor. Um like I like like for instance, the guy uh I often joke or actually even just last week I was joking around with my banker about all the ways that I could get him fired if I were to t- tell like the up the upper echelon of his uh company like the different topics of conversation that he initiates <laughs> with me about religion and politics and and all these other things and you know even 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 some yeah, I mean some stuff even there's some uh, some some possible confidentiality violations that he does but for, but I think it's because of this of the sense of humor that I have and the humor that I can bring to the job that it does really kind of break down wall- barriers break down people's defenses and and kind of and makes it some real open and honest uh, communication, which I think in the long run really helps me be more effective at what I do. And again, whether the, that's regardless of who I'm talking about, whether it's our the real estate guy who's trying to lease out our vacant space, or uh, whether it's the doctors who are owners in our buildings, um, or whether it's the uh, uh, you know the CPA firm that we still uh, retain to do our our uh, review work and our uh, tax returns. So all that stuff, it all it's all very helpful. Breaking down barriers, the ability to make someone laugh or, or, or to have that personality, it almost becomes you, you make friends a lot quicker. 
absolutely. And in a business environment, you know, it's all about networking. It's all about connecting with people. But as a, a gentleman from an earlier podcast, uh, Jamie Richardson, who's the vice president of government shareholder relations at White Castle Systems, because when he networks, he looks at making friends. And by doing that, it just kind of also lowers those, 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 the expectations. It kind of lowers the nerves where you just have this conversation with somebody and, you know, it can turn into a friendship just, just as quickly as it can turn to anything else, but it tends to open the door a lot, a lot quicker. So true. I mean, that's, that's a great way. I mean, so many people just like cringe at the idea of networking, but I think if you look at it as I'm not. I'm not I'm not going to lunch to get business cards and hopefully get someone to, you know, to put into my uh, CRM. Think of it as I'm going to lunch to hang out with buddies. Then that's that's how you can actually get yourself out of the seat and, and doing that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I think that's awesome. You know, why a lot of people don't like the network is because of their mother. The mother's in their head. And, and I take it to sense of, oh, Greg, what did your mother always tell you about when you meet people? Clean underpants? Yeah, so well, are you going that, to pretty clean that, underpants? That, that was the second one. She, <laughs> she always told you, don't talk to... Uh, to strange women? To, no, strangers <laughs> in general. Oh, just strangers in general. Okay. I, I, I prefer to talk to strange women, but just strangers in general. Because, you know, you know, they're strangers. But, you know, I always say a stranger is someone who's downtown Columbus, Ohio, with a bottle of Mogan David looking at a light post. You're awful, awful, awful tall and, yeah. and beautiful, too. No, but to your point, every business uh, gathering is an opportunity. Yeah. So you got to get your mother out of your head and, and always wear clean underwear. Yeah, that's uh, I mean, I think that's a given. If it's not, then you should probably probably if there's a CPA that that's not a given, I'd say that's a that's a crime of moral turpitude and they should probably get their license revoked for that. So. <laughs> exactly. So, And the other thing about you that, that I think being a CPA, and I think what fascinate a lot of people is this ability to stand up in front of a group of people and either perform, present, because you do, you are the founder of Comedy CPE, so you are NASBA approved, you're going around the country, interacting with a variety of CPAs, and you're standing in front of them, and you're pu doing public speaking, and you're not petrified. Right. I, well, I, yeah, I love, I, I don't know what, it, you know, I don't, I, I'm not exactly sure how people gain their interests in different things. But yeah, I, I mean, since, gosh, when was the first time I remember getting up in front of people to speak is probably, probably in ninth grade. I think I was maybe even before that, you know, I, you know, I do stupid little things that everybody does in elementary school, like plays and things like that. But I think somewhere in ninth grade, I started like doing speeches to be like, uh, you know, uh, student body, uh, vice president, you know, whatever stuff like that. And I, and I, and even when I very first started that, I would try to use humor as my way to get, to get in. So I, I kind of, I was going that direction a lot. Anyways, like I said, I was a teacher. That's one of the things you do. I mean, every day when you're a teacher, you're up in front of uh, people all day long, you know, 35 kids at a time, uh, trying to convey topic, trying to convey some pretty technical, pretty boring crap. Like, you know, like <laughs> yeah. the, you know, the friggin quadratic formula uh, to, you know, to people who really don't want to be the, to a hostile audience. So, uh, so, you know, I think that was one way that I was able to learn how to have a lot of energy and, uh, you know, and, and intensity and, you know, be, be as uh, engaging as possible as I, as I could. But, uh, but yeah, I love, I really do love being in front of people. It's actually funny. One of the things that I like the least about the, one of the 
presentation areas that I like the least is doing uh, webinars. Uh, webinars, I, I I have hated them. I recently figured out how to love them. But we, but the weird thing is because webinars, you're you are presenting to. Sometimes you have no damn clue how many people you're presenting to. But but like when it's just you in front of your computer with a webcam, it's like being in your bathroom talking to your <laughs> mirror. And I fr- and I friggin' hate it. Yeah, I'm I with hate you. it so hard because you have no sense of whether or not you you know how many people are rifling through their desk for the gun that they keep at work <laughs> to to put themselves out of their misery because you're so horrible because there's no feedback like that. Um, so really the you know, the live. I've really, I really get my juice out of the live presentations when I do have an audience there that I can get some kind of, you know, I can get the vibe off of in terms of how I'm doing and feed off of that. And even, you know, you try to fold that into my presentation with webinars. The funny thing with webinars, what I started doing uh, just recently is I, now I won't do a webinar without, without a co-host. So I'll get a guest, I'll get somebody to be there, like physically, not, not just to be like, Skype like you and I are right now, but to have somebody physically present with me that at least knows something about the topic where we can, where we're having a conversation so I can be interesting and engaging. And, and so that's kind of the trick that I've found and feel free to use this and any of your listeners can too, but I love it because you're having, because like I tell my guests, I say my main, my biggest priority here is for you and I to have a great engaging conversation that we both think is fun. That's if we do that, that first and foremost is what I, that's, that's my, what KPI, my, my key, uh, performance indicator, performance indicator of whether or not this was a successful webinar. Did you have a good time? Did I have a good time? If we both did, that's, that's the the main KPI. The second one is, did we get through all the bullet points? I'll put together a few slides to use as my webinar slides. And if we get through, all the main points. That's the second KPI. If we hit both of those, I'm ecstatic. And I know that we, that we nailed it. The other thing with the webinar, this is more technical, is that with GoToWebinar, uh, you can share your webcam and share your slides at the same time so that people can see me and my guest interacting, but at the same time, they can still see whatever slide we got up there. So it kind of helps helps with the entertainment because I, I've been on webinar. I actually was on some webinar and I remember really, really being interested in it. And I can't remember, I wasn't, I wasn't presenting. I was just a a participant and, uh, I think it was on fraud or something like this. And there was a couple guys having this conversation that seemed really, I mean, I remember it being engaging, but they had just like the whole time they were talking, which was like, for over half of the webinar, they had one slide up that just had their pictures and their names and you couldn't see these guys and they were just talking. And I go, I, this is horrible. I can't handle this. <laughs> but like, all you need to do is have a little pop-up window of your webcam where you can see these guys talking to each other. And all of a sudden you're like, Oh, look, humans talking. Now I'm interested because I'm a monkey, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah I, did, I agree about the webinar. Actually, I did a webinar, a series of webinars with a guy out in New York, out of Connecticut. Unfortunately, we weren't able to be there, but the way we we were able to be engaged in it is our voices were completely different. 
Oh yeah, you hear mine, and my my, my friend Cecil. Oh my God, he was very much kind of had this accent, and then then, <laughs> then, 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 then you'd hear me, then you did Cecil, but and, and I think that that the dichotomy of the voices helped engage it because you're right, you're just sitting there looking at your computer screen, and I, I what I can tell from you is you get your energy from others. That's that's how you, you on Myers Briggs, you are probably an E as an extrovert. I, that's how I get my energy, and, and that's how I am. And when yeah. I when I have a, 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 a I, I do very few webinars these days. And even if I've got a smaller live crowd, it, it helps. Yeah. But the, the I did uh, last week, I was in Minnesota, did a, um, uh, for the tax conference, I do, I, I do a piece on ethics and I had 850 people in the nice. audience. And I just, well, I can't say how I was feeling, but man, that I, I just, I just, I just loved it, you know. Yeah, uh, and, totally. And I came home and told Wait, my, why, why can't, why can't you say it? Because it would involve curse words. Uh, yeah, something along those lines. Just, okay. so maybe, so maybe some inappropriate language for, for the for the podcast. I'm trying okay. to keep, I'm trying to keep this as clean as possible. Yes. But I told my wife about it, and she said she would have crawled up in the corner and died. I went, oh, but she knows me. She goes, the more the merrier. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. the more yeah. the merrier. Yeah, totally, absolutely. The, although sometimes the more the uh, you know if if you're flopping in front of the bigger the crowd you flop in front of that can be that can be rough. I my my biggest claim to fame in standup is I got to open for Weird Al Yankovic in 2004 at the Utah State Fair Park, sold out crowd of 3,500 13 year old boys and their dad who brought them. Um, <laughs> And, and they, and it was, and like, I, and I was pretty, I was only been doing stand up for a couple of years at that point. So the fact that I even landed, that was pretty wild. And I was super stoked about it. And I, I was on for 20 minutes and I had, I had a solid 20 minute set, but I go out there and they didn't, you know, they bill it as weird Al and yeah. there's no indication that there even is an opening act. And I'm confident for most of these, you know, prepubescent kids in the audience, they didn't even understand the concept of an opening act. And so all I am is I'm delaying their gratification for Weird Al. And so they did, that was a, uh, so biggest audience I've ever had, 3,500 people with Weird Al. But also uh, I was kind of, I was kind of decimated at their, uh, their distaste for me. (laughs) for me that night. So was their body language, their arms crossed over the chest, they're rolling their eyes and they're watching, looking at the watches. Oh, uh... no, no, no. I was heckled from the moment I got <laughs> out there. Well, it was, it was miserable. So here's what happens. So I, sh- so I get booked for the show because Weird Al at that point, I don't know if he still does, but at that point and for many years, cause I, I, I ended up meeting a whole bunch of other people who'd open for him at the same way I did. And, and, and fortunately they they had similar stories to what I had, where it was just like not the not a great experience. People were not excited about, about seeing anything except Weird Al. Right. So, uh, but anyway, so I so I get booked for this. I show up and I you know I kind of wander. And I mean, I don't really know even where to go before the show. I'm there maybe you know half hour forty five minutes ahead of time, and I end up finding the stage manager. And he says, "Okay, so did they tell you? Did they tell you the rules about what we need you to do?" And I'm like, "Going <laughs> no, no." No, you know, and again, like I said, I'm two years in and they want me to do 20 minutes. And so I feel really confident with the material, with my 20 minutes of material, but I do not feel confident about changing a word of it right before this happens. And he says, well, here's a few things. First off, uh, we don't want anybody doing any song parodies. And I go, well, good. I don't do that anyways. And he says, and we want you to be clean and no drug references. And and then all of a sudden, because I'm in Utah and in Utah, like clean means different things. To, I've done, I've done uh, routines at like 
at, at like churches. And there's like, and there I'm like, oh, well, I, re- I reference people peeing in a joke. And I do jokes about people peeing in it, you know, so there's that. And then there's kind of like, you know, what could you get a- away with like a- on late night network television kind of where it's mostly just language. So right. I go, I'm not going to change anything there because I think I'm relatively clean. And then drug references, like at one point I, I compare the price of a teacup poodle to the to the street value of drugs. And I'm going, OK, is that a drug? Rep? I don't know. I'm not talking about me. <laughs> doing drugs. But, but again, I'm like, Oh dude, it's too late. I'm, I'm doing what I'm doing. And then the kicker was this dude also says, Hey, do you mind doing your own offstage intro? And, and I'm like, and I should have said, yes, I'm absolutely not. Okay. Doing my offstage intro. You do my freaking offstage intro and then I'll walk on. But I was, but this was like my dream coming true. I was like going, well, I'm going to be hanging out with Weird Al and he's going to love me and ask me to tour with him indefinitely. So I'm going to be the yes man of all yes men. And so I go, sure, I'm totally cool doing my own offstage intro. <laughs> so, so check this out. It's an outdoor venue. It's, it's at a state fair, outdoor venue. I'm doing my own offstage intro. So I'm like hiding behind the, the stacks of speakers that they've got in this fair park. Yeah. And, and it's like, I know there's people in the audience that can, you know, on the, on the edges that can see me behind the speakers, but I'm hiding it. And I'm using my best, like, uh, you know, radio guy voice. Where I was like, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the weird. And then, and then I go, but first your opening act, please welcome to the stage. Greg guide. And then I walk out with the same, you know, holding yeah. the same mic. I just did my own <laughs> offstage intro with, and, uh, and and walk out, and the first thing I, I hear anybody say was, "They go, who are you?" And uh, and that began kind of. I mean, it was. I mean, up to that point, I'd always dealt with hecklers by just ignoring them because if you're in a club and somebody heckles and nobody responds, they just feel like idiots, and so they shut up. But when you've got 3,500 people, uh, you're going to have enough idiots who are shouting out stuff that they feel okay. And about it was about maybe probably about 15 minutes in that some, some people way back in the bleachers, they just started chanting while I was doing my set, <laughs> they start chanting weird out, weird out. And finally I was like, so my big comeback to the, uh, to the hecklers and the bleachers chanting weird out was, uh, was this, this was super clever. I said, um, shut up, which, uh, that, that, that was, uh, <laughs> Actually, which was great. So they did shut up and a bunch of people applauded me telling them to shut up. So that felt good. But then when I, but I was kind of off balance this whole time. So I was like, I'm just going to wrap it up a little. So I I didn't even do my whole 20 minutes. And I was like, well, and I should have said this. I should have said before I go, I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to, or I'm going to do one last bit before I go. I should have said that. But instead I said, I'm going to go now. But first, I'm going to do one last bit. And after I said, I'm going <laughs> to go, go now, got a bigger applause than I did when I told the people to shut up. So uh, so I was decimated. The one thing that saved my, my self-esteem was my brother had flown into Salt Lake City from Mississippi to see the show. And my brother's one of those guys who, if if I had bombed, he would be like, dude, never do that again. You're bringing disgrace upon me and your family. But, but afterwards he was like, no dude, you're really good. And, and you know, he was, he was impressed with it. So I was like, okay, I must not, a must not have sucked because brother Bob would have 
put me in my place otherwise. So uh, take away from that, I mean, not not that many people could be able to handle something quite like that. So you so you can basically walk into any type of environment today, whether it's a boardroom, whether it's a classroom, whether it's in front of a client or whatever, and and it, for the most part adjusted to the what could be worse? There can't be anything worse. I mean, to me, uh, walking out and, and and you got 20 minutes and go, who are you? I'm like, uh, okay, that honestly, that probably would have tripped me right there. Just, just uh, on the get go. And then it's just spiraling and then they're, they're chanting in the back and you're just plowing through and getting the job done. So, I mean, you can walk into any place except, I was saying, except maybe a woman's restroom. Other than that, you can walk in <laughs> right, any place yeah, with, but, with any confidence. Right. Wouldn't want to do that. But yeah, but the, the funny thing is I would say, and, and I think part of the allure to me of doing comedy, whether it's improv or stand up, is that it's it's high risks whenever you get there because like with stand up, you go up on stage and you go, it's this is just me. There's nothing if you reject this, you're rejecting me because this is this is just me on stage. If you hate this, you hate you, you know, it's I mean, I'm I know there's a lot of people who can separate that, but for me it's always been a real personal thing of being on stage. But that's what for me that's what juices me up about it. So I'd say I'd put a little bit of a spin on what you said where I'm not I'm not intimidated by any audience to the point where I bail. Do you see what I'm saying? And even with that, I'd say the nerves and the anxiety that comes with presenting to any group that I'm able to use that as fuel to propel myself to a better performance, whatever that performance may may be, whether that's a you know, a sales meeting or, or, you know, like a board meeting or whatever. So I can use that to get there. But, but I would say that, you know, the thing that persists is you, you, there always is a bit of anxiety, but the payoff of, of like going headlong into something that does scare the pants off of you, there's just a huge payoff when you do that and you, and you hit a, hit a home run, man. So, yeah, I, I did that this past year in February when I did, I closed a show at a theater group up in Detroit and I haven't done stand up in about 10 years. And I, I had about eight minutes worth of material and I heard it. I thought I heard it. I wasn't for sure if I heard it. I thought I heard a belly laugh. Did I get, uh, a belly, did I get the belly laugh? Did I, did I get the drug? Did somebody just feed me the drug? Right. And, and somebody, right. somebody recorded it. And when I watched it, I went. Oh yeah, there, there's definitely a belly laugh there, yeah, and good. and but it is that it's that risk and reward. I mean, there's a lot of risk going out to buy it because it's just you, and yeah. the audience is going to love you, or the audience could hate you, or there could be some in between. But it's it's a tough thing to stand in front of a of a crowd by yourself, no matter if you're doing stand up or if you're delivering a CPE, if you're delivering an ethics, or because all the eyes are on you and you're the subject matter expert. Yep. Yep. Exactly. No, I I totally. I totally hear that, and that's the thing. I do you do you go out and do uh, open mics very much nowadays? Uh, I will start doing them again from January to April because since I'm not a practicing, that's kind of, that's kind of <laughs> right. downtime. Yeah, and, that's and, your dead zone. Yeah, I hear that. Yeah, and, and I, I will start working around Christmas time on, on some new material to take out and, and do some open mics here around the Columbus, Ohio area uh, for a bit and see. Just you know, as that Steve Rizzo guy told me, um, just keep doing it, keep getting the chops. I mean, you still got to get up there, but you know, there's a lot to learn from from from, from stand up. And in fact, I was sharing with you before that. By fear, for the first time in, in a, uh, ten years, getting up when I did some open mics in Columbus before I went to Detroit, and I forgot how 
people are really scared to do any type of presentation. And, and I hadn't felt that in a very long time. So that, that helped a lot in connecting with, with the audience to say, hey, you know, I've been there. I actually, I just revisited it as well as the ability to stand in front of a group, deal with crickets. Cause that's kind of like my comedy. I get a lot of not deliver the and get the crickets. Yeah. And, but also writing, because as you know, writing for improv, there's no writing. It's all improvisation. There may be some shell around it, but writing for standup, you've got to keep cutting and cutting and polishing and cutting and polishing. And I, I look at that as a corporate memo going to the CFO. Totally. That's so that's so true. I I 100 percent agree with you. And I think for me and I've I've uh, I've I've eased off of this. For, but for years, I had a a rule where I need that I like forced myself to write three, uh, to tweet three accounting jokes every day. So I'd go on to like accounting today and I'd get like the AICPA daily news yeah. email, stuff like that. So I'd use that as like my sources of material. And, and if, and if I couldn't get there, I'd go on like CPA trend lines or I'd go on, or I'd go on going concern, which I've, I've written for, you know, blogged for in the past, stuff like that. And I just try to find, I had to have three jokes every day and tweet those out. And, uh, and, and I think Twitter was one of the big things for me that just sharpened my skills of it's like, get rid of anything that's not necessary. And that's a huge skill because how many times do you get an email where you're like, oh, this email went on and on, but he could have said this in about three sentences. And it's like, that's so true. I mean, the, the fewer words you put in anything, whether it's a direct message, a tweet, a, an email, a, a text, whatever, people are going to appreciate you for being concise. And yeah, stand up definitely definitely makes you be concise. And thank you for reminding me about the, the, the Twitter uh, piece there, because I used to do that for a while. Uh, I kind of got out of that habit, but I, I have some comedian friends who do that in the sense of it's 140 characters. Yeah. Got to keep it to 140. Yep. And, and, and put it out there. And, and just so I don't forget, it's a little tangent, but there's a podcast you might like to listen to. A, a friend of mine named Rick Roberts, who's a, a touring comedian, he's got a podcast that's called School of Laughs. Okay, and it's all about stand up, and there's some there's some really he's able to take stand up and separate the personal from the product itself. But every every now and then when I'm listening, I, I'll pick up a tip or two just to keep in the back of my mind. So uh, it's it's he's he's been doing it for about a couple couple years now. Yeah, school of laughs. You said? Yeah, school of laughs. Nice. Okay, cool. I have to check that out. It's Rick R I K Roberts. Okay, okay. He, he's, right he, he's based out of Nashville, but yeah, I I found that. Improv helps in reading an audience, adapting to that audience, using yes and to keep things moving in a, in a forward positive direction uh, versus because, you know, as accountants, the precision is number one in many ways. And as you well know, anytime you get up to do any type of performance or any type of entertainment, we have to let precision go. Right. Well, you, it, yeah, I, that's been that's been a battle for me. Because I know even in my standup, I want to be super precise. And it's hard for me when I have a joke where it's like, I know it's a little better if I'm a little sloppier, you know, like, like if I don't, instead of like being really concise in my, so not so much like the stuff I was talking about before, where it's like, you know, one of the tools we have is, uh, is, is, uh, in tax planning is the charitable contribution deduction, right? That that's, that's different, but this is more like allowing my wording to be less cerebral and more just like you feel it kind of thing that that's where that's where that tension is for me where it's like you know when i i it's uncomfortable for me to go to those places 
where my communication is more intuitive and less logical. So, so I hear that. Yeah, and I, I hear from the precision standpoint. I, 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 I get that piece from, from the material. But anytime you you go and do any type of presentation, you also have to expect something's going to happen. It's not going to go right. my way. And, right, right, and, right. And it could be, it could be, you know, if I'm so precise and memorize, and I'm and I'm saying something, and I forget a piece, and if I stop and start to begin to panic. I I forget how to breathe, and then that it just just snowballs into you know the paramedics showing up and trying to give me CPR. Well, here's the here's the thing I've been doing. So for the last couple of years, I've been hitting like as many open mics as I can, specifically open mics because the stakes are lower because you don't have a paying audience there. So I feel like I can kind of f around a little bit more with those. But I've been I've been uh, putting myself in places where I try to show up with without like written like I'll have just kind of some ideas maybe scrawled on a in a notebook but not like real jokes written and I've been so for the past 2 years I feel like I've really sharpened my chops in terms of like here's some and, and a lot of times I'll like I'll have a you know cuz in an open mic you only get like at most like you get 10 minutes and that's hardly ever usually you're talking somewhere between 3 and 7 sometimes 2 minutes they want to give you and that's it so I'll do sometimes I'll do a whole set where all it is is it's a it's me making jokes about the guys who've done it who who went up ahead of me. Where it's like, oh, here's this guy, and here's me making fun of. It. There was this one time where I was at I was at Wise Guys. That's the main club that we got here in Salt Lake for an open mic. And there was some guy that went up, and he he was he was horrible, like h- horrible in a like he he ruined the night wow. for, for like he ruined it he was every everybody's just going what the hell just happened to us and i and i was like oh i would love i'm going to go up and i'm going to do my whole time about that guy so i i know the club owner obviously because i've been doing stuff around it forever so and he was running the mic that night i went up and said i said keith you gotta let me up like now because it's because i need to I need to, I, cause I yeah. will rescue the room. And it was the best because like I said, it was stuff just from just then just came to mind, went up. It was, it, it was, it was, you know, it's not improv comedy, but it was off the cuff. And, and, it, and again, and that was the best feeling because not only did I freaking destroy, uh, but I was able to take this open mic that was okay. That then this guy went up and just, he ruined the party. And then you go up and you have this awesome set where you freaking knock a home run and you're, you know, and you're the hero, you know, and so you just feel, feel amazing. But I also think that that's helped me when I do do my ethics, because I do, my main two presentations are ethics and fraud. So when I'm there and I'm able to just, you know, I know I can go off script and kind of monkey around with stuff that's in my head. That's, that's a lot of power that you have in terms of presenting. Yeah. That, 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 that's a tremendous amount of power. And, and the one thing you mentioned earlier that I, before we wrap things up, you, you've got comedian, you've got CPA, you've got improv, uh, uh, controller, uh, but you're also a cartoonist. Right. Right. That's the, okay. That's the dumbest thing ever <laughs> that I, that I'm a cartoonist. This, okay. So I, I I don't even really know the genesis of how why I started cartooning, but but a while ago, not not too long ago, I was like, gosh, I I need to just start just for fun. I just started sketching some stuff out, and I'd go, oh, that's not horrible. So I'd like scan it into my computer and I'd put it up on Twitter, and I'd go, eh, you know, it doesn't. And not that it's even getting that much action on Twitter, right? But but the stu- but the stupid thing is, and this is one of, and actually this is the real lesson here is the whole idea that like if people are running a firm they need to find a niche 
because if you have a niche, you have so much more power than if you don't. And, and the, the, the way that that relates to me is I'm a, you know, I see myself as a stand-up comedian, but my niche is accounting. Like if people, anybody who knows me from my comedy, they would say, oh, Greg Kite, he's the angry accountant comedian. And it's like, yeah, that's, I'm the angry because I yell a lot. I'm very intense when I'm on stage. Yeah. And so, but, but the fact that I'm, I'm also serving the accounting profession means, okay, I'm making, I, I have no, I, I mean, I know there's people who are like artists who cartoon all the time and can't sell a cartoon to save their damn life. And they've been doing it forever. And, and, and I, and I understand how, how insulting it is to, for, for how easy this was for me. So I started to, yeah, I mean, obviously I've got a decent sense of humor. So I started drawing these dumb cartoons and I'm like, I wonder if somebody buy these for me, I'm going to just try it out. So I have some connections with, you know, different, different online, uh, you know, media outlets for the accounting profession. So I started sending them to them and I go, Hey, Hey, Tom hood over at accounting day. Would you, would you pay me for this? And he's kind of like, ah, nah. And, and it's like, okay, yeah, you shouldn't. Cause I'm, cause I'm, <laughs> I'm no good. I just started. So I sent them to a few places and then I went back to go and concern where I said, I, I, I used, I blogged for them for a long time. And then I finally, I, I tried to quit a couple times and finally I, it stuck. Uh, <laughs> but I went back to him and said, Hey, would you buy these cartoons? He goes, yeah. So all of a sudden I'm getting my cartoons published through, uh, through every, was to every other week, base, basically the schedule is pretty much every other week, uh, that I get one on, on going concern. And it's been a blast and it's weird because it's so much fun for me to exercise that other part of your brain that, that is like drawing. So you kind of have the jokey side, which is one part of your brain and the drawing, which is another. And it's, and it's great. And I, and I feel very honored that I have a, a platform to share that cartooning stuff with. Yeah. I've, I've been, I've been following your cartoons and, 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 and man, this guy's got a lot of talents. Uh, I, I, this is real funny. There's been a couple I've looked at one. I don't get it, but yeah. I, I, I know sometimes I'm just, I'm just that way. So it's, but, well, it's, it's funny. We, so Caleb Newquist is the guy who runs going concerned. We talk about this and he's like, I'm okay. I'm okay. Cause, cause I like going, I don't know. I mean, definitely people, a lot of these people outside the county profession are not going to get them. Right. And, and even, you know, depending on your specialty insight and even your experience and possibly even your point of view, people inside the accounting profession might not get him either. He's like, that's okay. I don't care if people, <laughs> if, you know, if it's a smaller and smaller little uh, group of people that get it, he's, he's okay with it. So plus, plus he finds him to be a great way to populate the Pinterest page for going concerned because Pinterest, because going concerned has a Pinterest page was, I was unaware of until he told me that. That's where all accountants hang out is the Pinterest page, right? <laughs> right, yeah. exactly, yeah. So before we leave, I, I do have one question for you. you the accounting side, and I hear a little bit of tax side. What's your opinion on the deduction for the blind? <laughs> oh, my gosh. I think I, I'm totally cool with it. The standard deduction for the blind, because that's the thing. I mean, first off, my main opinion is that everything everything is more complex when you when you make accountants do it. So like the, the tax code, obviously way more complex than it needs to be. And one, and one of the biggest examples of that is the standard deduction, because the whole idea of the standard, like if you ask normal people, it's like, do you know what the standard deduction is? They go, yeah. And they go, yeah, it's a pretty, it should be a really straightforward concept because it's, it's a tax deduction and it's standard. So depending on your, you know, your uh, filing status, it's the same 
no matter what, unless unless you're blind or and, and again, this is where this is where if I was doing this for accounts, I'd go or unless you're over 65. Relax. That's part, I'm not going to not going to focus <laughs> on that. But let's or if you're a widow or, or OK, but the, so there's a few. But the biggest thing that I want to is the is, is the blind people get a higher standard deduction, which which I am. I'm totally cool with that. If if blind people get because because it's like, you know, I I get it that that's I mean, it's it would it would be horrible to be blind. That's going to affect your your earning potential. So if we give them a break on the taxes, that's wonderful. The thing I don't get is why that's the only disability in the world that gets it. Why is it that blind people are the you know, it's like it's like here's. Here's a here's somebody who's blind and it's like, dude, that sucks that you're blind because you've never you've never been able to see a baby's face or a beautiful sunset. So how about we make that all better by allowing you to pay slightly less in taxes? And that's like, oh hey, hey quadriplegic, hey stop stop whining and how about you pay all of your taxes like a damn American? You know, it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't make any any sense, but that's uh, that's the world in which we live. And and that's the humor in the tax code and, and, and how he's been able to find that bit of humor just based off the word standard deduction, which is for everybody. And there's a carve out for blind people. But hey, people who are diabetes, the quadruplet, right, yeah. keep paying your yeah, taxes. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> well, so. well, well, Greg, thank you. We I, I know we could probably do this for about three or four hours and it'd be a blast. So what I'm going to ask is I'd like to have you back on at a later date and we can pick this up and just keep keep flying with sure. it you good with love that love to love to yeah I, I appreciate you taking time I, i've had a blast I, I think you've had a blast too yeah i look forward to our next time and uh how can people find you uh well some uh if you want to see those cartoons go to goingconcern.com uh if you want to i still tweet not not three jokes a day but i most weeks I probably get three a week out. So uh, follow me on Twitter, which is at Greg Kite. Kite is spelled with a Y, not with an I, because my ancestors were bad spellers just like me. <laughs> or you can go to you can go to uh, comedycpe.com. That that actually takes you to my to my website, which uh, which is horribly uh, not. I haven't updated it for a while. So, but there's some links on there where you can check out some uh, videos, some sketch videos, and some stand-up videos that I've done. So uh, good place to go if you want to. Before busy season, before you're too busy to waste five minutes looking at a, an online video at work, go to go to comedycp.com and click on the videos uh, tab. Actually, this will go out before just as busy season starting. So I will I will take it another way. You need to visit the site while you're in busy season to help you get through busy season, right. so you can get to April fifteenth and start drinking. Absolutely, absolutely. There you go. Cool. That's it. Love it. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yep. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed our conversation on effective communication in the workplace, or better yet, how improv and stand-up comedy made me a better communicator. As I stated in the intro, go and listen to episode 19 with Dan Swarthow and episode 19 with Judy Carter because both of these would fall under this title. It's all about making connections with those we come in contact with, whether verbally or in writing. The key in making this connection is the improv skill of listening. And that is listening to understand and not listening to respond. The more that we park our agenda and listen to the wants and needs of our stakeholders, the better that we can help provide solutions to their problems. This was a very fun and informative interview and I hope you enjoyed it. I would like to ask you for a favor. If you like this episode, would you please go out to iTunes and write a review? 
In return for writing a review, I will send you a free copy of my book. Now that's a deal. So after you've written the review and it posts on iTunes, send me an email at peter at petermargaritas.com with your mailing address and I'll send you a signed copy of my book. In episode 34, I interview Matt Horan, who is a professional development consultant. So until the next time, use your improvisational skills to become a better communicator and connect better with the people around you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.